Since the nuclear holocaust, 20 years have passed. But planet Earth has been reduced to a garbage-strewn radioactive desert, inhabited by humans devoid of all hope for a future. In this sector, in exactly 30 seconds, the hunters and exterminators will begin total disinfestation. If you go to New York and bring us back that woman, I'll guarantee you a seat for the journey. This is Bronx. His mind is a veritable map of New York City, and that's Ratchet. Who's next? The strongest man in the new Confederacy. How do we get into Manhattan? Getting in will be easy. It's getting out that's impossible. feeling it's about over. Look. Twenty nineteen. Another sensational blockbuster joins the spectacular new releases from From hello everyone, hello and welcome, welcome to the year 2019. What you heard there, opening up the show, was the trailer to the film. Uh, I think it's called 2019 Fall of Man After the Fall of Mankind, which is um, I I haven't seen the film. It looks a lot to me like um, a ripoff of Escape from New York, um, as evidenced by the part in the trailer where they say something like, "We have to." get out of manhattan um but um but there you go that is and that's because the year is 2019 it's our first show our first show of the i was gonna say a new millennium there but the new year the first show of the new year and it's the screen brum show and you're all extremely welcome we're very very excited to be back and um, we're looking forward to talking because what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be reviewing the year 2018 the year in screen on 2018 this is our opinions we're talking about here it's the films we liked the films we didn't like and the reasons he says not a definitive answer i say that because sometimes people go wait a minute you got that wrong you missed that out of course it's only our opinions and we will probably disagree on them but what we have have got here in the studio is three people who will have a different um Different point of view. What we've done is we've had uh, Lucy Beth going to all the art house cinemas and the cool festivals. We've had Tim haunting the multiplexes, looking (laughs) looking for... (laughs) My spectre is there forever. Uh, We have... And uh, Blake, who has sat on his sofa and flicked through Netflix occasionally. Flicked through the net. (laughs) That's right. And that's what we're going to be doing. And as I said, we played uh, the... uh, 2009 at the start because 
Uh, it is the year 2009. No, it's not 2019. Carried away. Um, some other films set in the year 2019. So you had a clip there for 2019 after the fall of mankind. Akira. Yes. Which is set in a dark dystopian Tokyo rebuilt after a nuclear apocalypse. Blade Runner 2019. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting Roy Batty this year. Mm, yeah. gonna, Ecologically damaged. It's going to be raining. Uh, Daybreakers, that was 2019. Uh, dark World entirely taken over by vampires. The Island was set in 2019. Oh, That's yeah. the one with... Um, uh, Scarlett Johansson it's a genetically cloned humans are bred for organ harvesting uh, uh, the new barbarians that was set in 2019 that's after a nuclear war humanity is reduced to a few starving groups and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger classic The Running Man which is set uh, yes, it is, yeah. where a worldwide economic collapse has led to the US becoming a totalitarian police state sounds accurate uh, game shows are used to keep the population in line sounds accurate mm. it seems quite ro- it seems prophetic it does so oh, I also say about the running man you know there used to be um, here goes the uh, library of Birmingham and mm. you can see the barriers that they have these red barriers that when you take the books out they uh, like if they, they haven't go off. Them out. the red barriers look awfully like the barriers in the prison sequences in um, running man you know where if you go beyond the barriers your head will explode um, right. Well, let's. Uh, I'm not saying steal books from the. Don't library. steal a book. Don't steal the book. Because like the Running Man, it probably um, won't happen. No, it but won't. why take a risk? Anyway, know, don't I've, steal books. I've been so, playing that playing that theory with my girlfriend for years. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So welcome everyone, um, and of course the the voice you heard there is Mr. Tim Wilson, film reviewer extraordinaire. Hello, Tim. Hello, film uh, reviewer extraordinaire. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you. I think, I think I can still say that. Of course you can. I, I'm still actually writing dates with 2018 by accident. Oh, understand. <laughs> that, that stops after about three weeks, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Depending how often you write. No one writes a check these days. No. I, I carried on without an, until about July last year, I think. So, what, 2017? I, yes. All yes. Right. Well, no, sometimes I, I think I still wrote 2013. So I, I'm way behind. You, you, you're living in that fantasy world of 2013 that before pre, the David world, Bowie died. Or oh, the world before 2016, generally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, monumental year. I'd love to be able to just sort of live in that, in that little world. I'd like bubble. to go back to 2015. Yeah, but Good unfortunately, times. we can't. Uh, we're here where we are, and we're just going to have to make the most of it. So, everyone, um, what did you think? What was your year like? What was your screen year like? Let us know. Let us know what you watched on telly, on cinema. Um, you know, okay, we've had this debate, you know. If it came out this year or if you saw it this year. and um, Basically, we're looking at things that came out uh, last year. So if you've seen Casablanca for the first time, it's great to know that. But we're kind of focusing on stuff that's been released. And um, anything that, 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 you know, that we think we haven't noticed or we haven't mentioned, do let us know. So tweet us at Screen Brum and email us. Tim is info at... Tim's just nodding improvingly. Info at screenbrum.co.uk. You don't need me to say it anymore. I know, but I, I lose oh, my confidence. As a, as a little adjunct, we're, we're at a little adjunct. We're encouraging people to, um, and over the last few days, people have been uh, putting together their top five lists of the year. Mm. And of course, you don't have to do top five best films of 2018. You can, mm. If you've got another top five of 2018 <coughs> related to the cinematic or TV or whatever world, Please do share. Hmm. We're always we're always looking for the quirkier top five list as well. Yeah, I don't think we're I don't think we're going to be that interested in worst fives because I think we're all about positivity. Yeah, positivity. So yeah, you know, something quirky. I don't know. Top five. I don't know. You think of it. Yeah, you think of it. You the guy. So let us I know. I should have written down some crazy things there, um, shouldn't I? I'm going to do a little overview of the year now. Um, free of politics. Free of politics. The screen year. I'm going to put some uh, some music on while we do it. Does anyone know what this is? 
Turn white because you can't hear it. I can't hear it. Um, <laughs> it's the theme tune. Uh, it's from The Shape of Water. This is one of your your requests, Tim. I might be talking about it. It's lovely. Um, so whilst that's playing, that's um, uh, Alexandre Desplat. Um, who had Desplat? A- or De- I always call him Des- just Desplat. <laughs> yeah, Desplat doesn't sound Desplat. Right. That's not very flattering. <laughs> no, no. I love Alexandre Desplat. Um, Desplat. Sorry. <laughs> So, so um, we'll leave that running away in the background. Yes, 2018 in film. Um, it's actually very easy to review. The, tw- the year is basically superheroes, right? I looked at the top 10 worldwide films, and there were six of them were superhero movies. So that's Avengers, Black Panther, Incredibles 2, Aquaman, Venom, Deadpool 2. Um, it's so basically, yeah, as I say, it's a superhero year. You cannot get away from them, whether you like them or you don't. You cannot avoid them. They're absolutely everywhere. Um, Black Panther, of course, was a huge, huge, massive mega hit. Um, and uh, an interesting fact I learned, which was which is encouraging for the year, is that uh, Black Panther was number one uh, in America at the same time. Uh, a Wrinkle in Time was number two, and it was the first time in history that the U.S. box office had black directors at the one and two slots so um that is something to be uh, applauded um really um and black panther itself i watched it the other day um we've been talking about it here in the studio it's um you know a film i'm very very uh, glad exists and is very well very well made and so yeah it's a good thing uh so what else what else happened in the year uh oscars we had oscars we had um the shape of water which you can hear now uh, won a Best Picture, Gary Oldman, for his portrayal of Winston Churchill, won an Oscar. Francis McDormand won an Oscar for, um, was it, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, we also had Oscars for Get Out and Call Me By My Name, which I still haven't seen. I hear is extremely good. I'm gutted that I haven't seen it either. No, I haven't seen Pretty it. Pretty gutted about that. Oh, none of us have seen it. <laughs> you don't want to see it? I've seen it. <coughs> oh, oh, right. Yes. Don't, don't like it. I seem to be in the minority that I didn't, to be quite honest. Oh, well, Timothy Chamolet, I think that's how you pronounce it. He's sweeping all before him at the moment, isn't he? Everything oh. he's in seems to be turning to gold. Mm. Um, so, um, what it's else? called is Timothy, so that's always a good thing. It is a good thing. It's, <laughs> it's spelt with double E, though, isn't it? It's yeah, he's, that's cool. Okay, well, I'm we're gonna. I, I'm, I'm traditional. So you're, you're you're an old school white white Tim. Um, Why Tim? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah, what else happened in the year? Um, well, uh, it was the year China surpassed the US as the biggest value market for film, which I think may have interesting long-term implications in the types of film we'll see. Um, it was the film in which, a year in which Bohemian Rhapsody became the biggest musical biopic ever and one of the biggest drama films ever. Huge, huge hit. Uh, and Walked away with Golden Globe as well. Golden Globe, and is now really getting surprising. Oscar buzz, um, which is, you know, um, you know, well, let's all be positive. Uh, and it was also, there was, there was a lot of, uh, um, we have to remember the sad part of the year, which is the people we lost this year. Actor, writer, and director, um, uh, sorry, we lost uh, Peter Masterson, who's an actor, writer, and director, director Penny Marshall. Uh, very recently, John Mahoney, Burt Reynolds, um, Vern Troyer. There was uh, Emma Chambers from The Vicar of Dibley, Aretha Franklin. I uh, mentioned Burt Reynolds, I think, Charles Aznavour, and, of course, uh, Stan Lee recently, which everyone is very sad. Oh, and Nicholas Rogue as well, Tim's just pointing out. Died on my birthday. Oh, no. 
So, yes, um, it was um, you know, a mixture of, of happy and sad, as all years are. So there you go. Highlights of your years, guys? Are they, are they, are they filmic or are they anything else? What else would you like to say? Oh, travel is always my highlight of the year. Mm, you just I got back from Hong Kong. Went to Hong Kong for Christmas, I did, as did uh, another of our compatriots. P- P- Carl Blackledge, who's talking yeah. to you. Yeah, we oh, know Joel. Joel Blackledge, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He was taking pictures of himself outside 7-Eleven stores. Yeah, I think it was the 7-Eleven store that was, it was something that was from a, a film. I can't remember which one it was now. Anyway, this is not an interesting fact. For anyway, went to Hong Kong, went to Seoul, did a lot of travel. Wow. Yeah, it's generally my highlights of the year with travel. And, uh, yeah. Have you ever been to the cinema overseas? Lots of music as well. Have you ever been to the cinema overseas? Uh, I've been to the cinema overseas. Yeah, mm. I've been to I've been to cinemas several places. Yeah, the only other place they tend I've to be been... quite like ours, though, as if they're cineplexes. Well, in I don't know because uh, I've, I've been to the cinema in America. That's weird um, because they go, you know, they cheer and they sh- they whoop and they get really excited. I went to see a film there. God help us! And um, <laughs> they were. You know, they were standing up and applauding and shouting just in the trailers and stuff. They really get into it. Um, so, yeah, if you want to go and see like That's something like nice. Independence Day. Part of me wants to go. I, I, I never want to go to Cannes. It's never in my list of any things I want to do. But I'd love to be in a, in, in a screening where everyone is booing. Or, you know, seeing, seeing these snobby critics <laughs> snobby critics go, boo, boo, no, boo, and yay. Uh, they, do, they, don't seem to, they don't seem to inhabit the joyful world that the Americans seem to do when they go to the cinema, no, which is all weeping and cheering, which is... Yes, I, like, I like a more sort of stoic, quiet, cinematic experience. Yeah, well, in this, in this country, or, we get very cross if people... Or those isolated things where people scream during a horror sequence or something. <laughs> <laughs> it always makes me laugh. Well, that, 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 happens, <laughs> that happened to me uh, this year. Yeah, um, with Lucy was sat beside me at the time. We'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> later. Okay. Um, cool. So um, yes, we're going to be doing our top fives, um, and um, we'll be uh, hoping to hear from you as well. So do let us know yours. Um, we've talked for far too long now, so I'm going to play a little bit of music, and this is from um, one of my top five um, of the year. So I'll play the tune. And then you can say, sorry, Lucy, it looks like you're about to... No, I was wondering what your non-filmic highlight of 2018 was. Um, um, nothing, really. Um, you know, staying, staying, staying on an even keel, I would say. Um, I've not travelled. I've not done anything exciting and glamorous. Uh, just carried on doing this. Um, that's really boring, isn't it? Not, Not at, at all. all. Oh, okay, well, anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's play some music and do let us know your top five. And, of course, if you recognise this, this is from one of my five, top five of the year. Um, and a big part of the reason I love this is the soundtrack. So uh, enjoy this track. The track is um, The Coldest Night of the Year by Vashti Bunny. Baby, baby, it's me. The coldest night of the year. I've just realised uh, I haven't properly introduced uh, the third voice here in the studio, Lucy Beth. Hello. Hello, Lucy. Apologies for that. That's fine. I don't mind at all. I'm oh. quite happy in my little corner. Okay. Well, uh, Lucy, uh, 2019, looking forward to it? I suppose so. There's, uh... there's the optimistic... <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen regardless. So that's yeah. um, it that's, will end. <laughs> we'll, we will get to the end of the year as well. That's our that's our um, motivating message for you. Twenty nineteen <laughs> will happen, but it will also end. Um, so we hope that has uh, cheered you up. Hopefully on time. <laughs> Hopefully right on the nose. So everyone, it's um, 
we're, we're talking about this year that's gone by and what we liked. And the track that I played there is from one of my choices of the year, which is a TV series called Forever. Either of you heard of this? No. Um, I believe no. there was some sort of crime drama of the same name, but this is a, um, a, a sort of um, poignant comedy drama starring Fred Armisen uh, as Oscar, Maya Rudolph, the great Maya Rudolph, as June. And they're a married couple who've been together for a long time, um, and it, it deals with the intimacy of long-term relationships and the frustration of that they can come from long-term relationships as well. And this whole nagging fear that people can often have in long-term relationships that they're, they're maybe missing out on something better and have they, have they made a bad choice and, and, and whatever. Uh, it also features Catherine Keener, Peter Weller and Julia Ormond. Um, and it, it's re- one of these ones that's very difficult to say more about because uh, it goes in extremely unexpected directions, I should say. Just watch the first five minutes of it for beautiful sort of wordless encapsulation of a relationship done beautifully well um, and then uh, watch the end of the first episode and go goodness me that was a twist and then watch the end of the second episode and go goodness me that was an even bigger twist and then carry on in the same vein it is um, there's a whole episode for example that doesn't actually feature any of the main characters at all it's a sort of um, one of the houses near where they are something else going on here and when we just watch uh, a couple uh, and their relationship over the whole expanse of their life viewed through um, the occasional dropping into this house and seeing what happens it is fantastic beautiful music throughout as well a real sort of melancholy uh, but also uplifting this 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 kind of duality that I think, um, you know, maybe it's just me, but this thing that kind of typifies long-term relationships, this idea of, um, you know, there's a lot of joy to be had and familiarity and intimacy, but there's also a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's hard work as well. So they are. Uh, either of you either of you seen this? I'm not, uh, I'm not asking you to comment on your relationships, but uh, either of you seen this? Where will you find it? It was on Amazon Prime. So if you are a, a Amazon Prime subscriber, I don't know if it's been available in any other format. It was just eight episodes long, uh, sort of half-hour episodes or 25-minute episodes, whatever they are. Um, and it's self-contained. I don't think they're going to make any more. Um, so it's one of those ones that you can actually just sit down, sort of binge it all in a, in a couple of days. Um, and, yeah, I, I, don't, I haven't heard a huge amount of people talking about this, so I wanted to kind of um, make the case for it, really. So that's forever. That's the uh, TV series on Amazon Prime. Can't get any comments from these two because they've not seen it. I have nothing to say. Nothing. I'm afraid I haven't even heard of it. So that well, will be. If you are, yeah, if you're able to, I'm sure it'll be available on, on DVD and things as well. Um, like I say, try not to read anything. If you have the chance, don't read anything. Just listen to this, what I've said, and say, trust me, and watch it. But don't learn anything else about it, and it will surprise you be- because it will do unexpected things. So, yeah. Blake's number one choice, or number five choice, forever. There we go. So, that's me done. Who would like to go next? One of go you. on, Tim. You want me to go first? Okay. Tim, choices. Okay, choices. As we were talking to uh, Lucy before we started this uh, show, picking a five is incredibly hard. Mm. Incredibly hard. I found picking one was very easy. Um, so, um I'm still toying with this, but uh, I'm going to kick off with um, a film that came out towards the end of last year, particularly, well, in the UK it did, and that is uh, Boots Riley's um, anarchic comedy, Sorry to Bother You. Mm. Um, 
certainly for me, the most unique um, mainstream comedy release of 2018. A, a kind of really genre-defying exercise in uh, punkish corporate satire. And this is, a, for me, this is like, this is the epitome of a satire because I always think that, you know, um, films that are slightly unruly and untidy like this, you know, where, you know, might not, you'd argue that not, not everything might work as, mm. a, as a structural narrative. And also, it reminds me a little bit, it has that kind of uh, dust all door mentality of shifting emphasis and going somewhere else halfway through. And right. um, basically, it's about a guy played by Lickis Stanfield who plays a black call center worker whose fortunes um, markedly improve when he starts to adopt a white voice. That's um, voiced by Will Arnett, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, it was voiced by um, Dave, um, is it David Cross. Oh, know. right. Sorry, yeah. yes, David Cross. Both uh, in the Arrested Development. Right? That's right. Um, and um, he, his, his, um, his, he suddenly realises he can get um, promoted upstairs. So he's in the downstairs in a, in a, in a standard call centre. Hence the film's called Sorry to Bother You as a kind of an apologetic, apologetic nudge to you know, that whole thing of being rung up yeah. by a call centre at dinner time. Sorry to bother you. Um, and then um, promoted upstairs to where he's promoted upstairs to where the power callers are. And he and he ends. And there's this wonderful scene in the lift where the uh, where he gets goes into this lift and they have to enter this um, code. And the code consists of probably three thousand numbers. He's going to go for for two minutes just entering to get up get upstairs. And he has to be in that white voice even amongst these people. And the idea is he finds out about the awful truth about the corporation that this telesales company is involved in and the kind of evils that they're up to. And he um, and um, the visionary CEO, whose name is Steve Lift, um, played by Arnie Hammer, very very uh, yeah very funny very funny. Um, the, the film does a lot of stuff. It takes the Mickey out of corporates. It takes the Mickey out of tech and governments and um, what we suppose might be going on in the world of power. It kind of pokes fun at it. On the other level, it kind of plays a little bit like, um, on, when, especially when they're in the d- downstairs call centre, it kind of plays a bit like an episode of The Office, albeit with a bit more kind of Spike Lee kind of humour. Uh, there's some wonderful one-liners. Um, we're talking about the kind of white voice or sort of acceptable black voice and sort of, is it kind of like a Will Smith white voice or, a, or a St- is it like a Lionel Richie kind of white <laughs> acceptable acceptable levels of um, what white people can accept from black voices and white voices and it's so funny. Uh, but then it turns into a kind of a, a sci-fi strange twist halfway through and you find out about, um, um, yeah, I'm not going to reveal too yeah, much. No spoilers. No spoilers. Mm. The the um the soundtrack is hilariously funny. I tried to submit something to Blake that we could we couldn't play on virtue that I think virtually everything has a swear word. Has in a swear it. in it, I'm afraid. Um, but it's it feels handmade, mm. and it feels really raw. And Boots Riley's got a real kind of gift for this kind of uh, stick a finger up to the way films are made. Um, it reminds me of early Spike Lee mm. in a really big way, and also in a way, it's kind of a companionship companion piece to Get Out. Um, I would say, but not no, not because because Lucky Stanfield was in that as well, but because it is genre defying and it's very funny amidst the, the genres that it's trying to bend and have fun with, and and um, uh, yeah, it's very very good, um, very adolescent mm. in its nature, and uh, I like that it's carried through. I haven't seen it, but I have heard all the things that you've said. Uh, that it's very good. Have you seen it, Lucy? I haven't. No, I missed it at the cinema, but I've been really looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, everything, everything. It, and he's had a bit of a boot side, isn't he? Had a bit of a kind of spat with um, Spike Lee, because of course Spike Lee kind of had some of this issue in in Black Klansman, which came out this year, which is also about you know with him the the black character on the phone 
yes, putting portraying out a, a white person. Yeah, so yeah. there is an absolute is an absolute parallel to Black Klansman. Mm. Uh, you know, even though it's set forty years in the past, yeah. in the seventies. Um, and I might be talking about Black Klansman in a minute. Right, well, let's. So I won't uh, spill too much about that. Let's uh, let's leave that one there. And we'll come. We'll come back but to yeah, it. Sorry to bother you. Is nine number five, number four? I don't know. It's one of my favourites. <laughs> I don't do top five lists very well. No, that's fine. Yeah, um, fantastic. Okay, um, Lucy. Okay. Now it's time for you to uh, to 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 kill your darlings, as they say, and and cut down to. It's five. been really tricky designing on. There's that few films that can't be anywhere but where they are in the list, that top couple. Um, but then it starts getting a bit murkier and trickier to decide where things go. Um, but I'm going in for number five with First Reformed. Mm. Um, Paul written, yes, written and directed by Paul Schrader, obviously known for Taxi Driver, Raging Bull and lots of other great things. Um, so it, it opens with Ethan Hawke as a priest starting a journal, which he intends to write every day and be completely honest in to document every feeling, every action, everything that is part of his life for a year. And um, so it, it begins to go into how he is struggling. So with his health, with loss that he's experiencing, his position within the church and within his life in general, and ultimately his faith, which is probably the most difficult thing for him. And it, it's how he is rather not coming to terms with anything that is happening within his life and avoiding things. And then he comes across a couple, um, the wife brings him in to try and be some kind of spiritual and emotional aid to her husband who is finding things very difficult after recently being released from prison for rather extreme terms of eco-activism. And so he is kind of pulled into this situation which he has very little knowledge of in the beginning but then as there is further loss within the, this new place he finds himself in and he begins to realise there's very little hope for him to, to pin on to really and he learns more about this eco-warrior kind of thing and he pins things onto that. So it sounds <laughs> like a sort of laugh a minute knockabout comedy. Oh, it's yeah. hilarious, <laughs> yeah. that classic Paul Schrader knockabout comedy kind oh, of way. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan Hawke, you know, just frothy and non-intense. Of course, yeah. of course. So, uh, it, it's, it's suitably deep yeah. and dark and th there's very little to... Well, I don't think there's anything to find fault with in it. Mm. And it also stars Amanda Seyfried, mm. who is far from her Mamma Mia turn, as you can get, really. And it, it's just 
brilliant it's really beautiful to well beautiful is probably not the right term for it really bleak is probably the better one but it, it's a fantastic film and it's Schrader really going back onto top form yeah. first yeah. reformed is an interesting title then in contrast in context of the uh, the, the traumas that Ethan Hawke seems to go through in the uh Yes, it's right. yeah, it's quite appropriate, quite really. Appropriate. Yeah. I think it. I read that it's also um, a reference from Trader to do with his past religious experiences. Mm. Okay, okay. So, if you are looking for some dark, brooding intensity, then um, First Reformed is Lucy's pick our first choice from setting my the tenor first, in a my first of my happy first yeah, of my setting the tenor in a joyous yeah. way in only <laughs> uh, but we're so laughing <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, ease the darkness with a bit of a music this is from a film i haven't seen but i hear extremely good things about which is cold war have you seen this, Lucy? Yes. You love this. Might might be mentioned again. Oh, might be mentioned. Oh, okay, well, one nation no more other than play the music. And this is De Crew, which I think is too hot. Beautiful. That's De Coeur by Joanne, uh, sung by Joanne Kulig and uh, Mossan Maseki from the film cold war which we will maybe talk about later don't forget you can tell us your favorite uh, films uh, and tv of 2008 teen forget what year it is or year it was uh, to uh, tweet us at screen brum and we're going through ours uh, we will later on have some um, thoughts from one of our uh, collaborators here on brum radio that's uh, rob stone from or professor rob stone i should say from b film the film studies unit at the university of birmingham he's going to give us an overview of his top picks of the year as well so we'll play that to you shortly um but we're going through our top fives um and um We'll be we'll be reviewing some of yours soon, but I'm going to give you my number four on this list because this is a film that um, I think lots of people will have seen. Lots of people talk about it. it's a big one this year, and it is uh, Peter Jackson. Um, and I'm not talking about Mortal Engines. I am talking about They Shall Not Grow Old. This is uh, Peter Jackson's tribute to the soldiers of World War One. Um, it is. Uh, you know, on the face of it, it is a colorization of a load of old newsreel footage um, put together as a film. But it is a huge amount more than that. It is um, it's a film where he's taken a lot of archive footage, much of it uh, previously unseen um, from the uh, from the vaults of a lot of museums. And he has uh, colorized it, but also... He's done something, some sort of technical process. If you remember, if you look at a lot of this old World War One footage, everyone moves in a really jerky way. It's to do with the frame rate and the amount of frames per second. Um, he smoothed that out, so all of a sudden it looks like a film that we see now. Um, there's no sound on this, but what they've done is they've got lip readers to work out what people were saying as much as possible, actors to, to voice over. So even though it's not necessarily them talking to the camera, you might see a load of soldiers marching past and chatting and saying, oh, we're on telly or we're in the movies. Uh, and you're hearing that and all the little sound effects going on. It's electrifying. Um, 
And it's not, he hasn't got footage of battles, you know, obviously they didn't record those things. It's not about the battles. It is, it's about the, the life in the trenches. It's about the, the social life of the soldiers, their training, their, uh, you know, there's an incredibly powerful sequence with, with a load of um, uh, German prisoners they capture and, and their kind of interactions with them, very friendly and sort of joking around with these guys. Um, all of it voiced over the top by archive interviews from uh, World War I uh, soldiers recorded at some point uh, in the past, in the 70s or something. Um, and it's... It's it's a film that really um, challenges your preconceptions of World War One. I. I think it brings a whole new perspective. Genuinely, think it, it it makes you see something which you you've heard so many much about, you've read so much about, you've seen so many films about, and genuinely feel I understand what it was like at the trenches in a different way uh, than I ever could have imagined before. So, it's it's moving, it's fascinating, it's surprising. It's incredibly technically impressive as well. Um, and it's a really beautiful monument, I think, to, to those people, you know, 100 years on from, from the end of the, the First World War, a monument to those soldiers, um, you know, that fought and died. So that is my choice. It was um, a cinema release. It was, I think it was a BBC co-production. It was also on the BBC. Um, they Shall Not Grow Old, Peter Jackson. So, again, any, any, anyone seen it else in the room? I missed it. Oh, I'm right. really gutted about this because no, it got it got um, a few cinema showing, uh, showings or opportunities to see it, and I can't remember I was doing something else when it was on mm. TV. Yeah, it sadly, was, it was on iPlayer I, briefly, but um, I think it's and I should have hit record on my Skybox because yeah, <laughs> it's released. It is, it is available on DVD. Oh man! But yeah. I'd, I'd 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 recommend it. It is you know it's. It, you know, it's obviously it's a war film, but it's not like I say. It's not and what he does is that he uses when they do talk about the battles and the fighting, he uses a lot of um, uh, drawings and cartoons that were current at the time and illustrations. So it's it, it it's all feels very um, you know archival and, and, and sort of real, but um, there's no well, obviously there is artifice in terms of the sound and so forth. But it's, it's yeah, it's a great, great, great watch. And it, you know, it's, it's in keeping with the ambitions of someone like Peter Jackson mm. to be able to see something through with that kind of technical, um, not the technical care, but without losing sight of the emotional and that, um, that's exactly it, resonance. It? So many, you know, so many filmmakers get so excited by the, the technical possibility of something that, that they might forget the kind of emotional reason behind doing it in the first place and this definitely does not do that um i'm i'm looking at you bandersnatch when i say this uh does anyone know what i'm talking about when i say that i think yep. we all do yeah um yeah i mean people may disagree with me on that but bandersnatch for those of you that don't know because this is a 2018 release i think it yeah. came out just just before the new year i think we I can know. Uh, was, You're I going think to be talking it was about only that. A few weeks ago, so. mm. it's certainly end, end of the year. Yeah. It was the end of the year, so this is the sort of the Black Mirror, uh, Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror, as a sort of choose your own adventure thing, where you can follow your own path through the through the program. And um, yeah, we can um, we can it's been well rehearsed and talked about. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. Let's keep things positive. It's a technical, it's a technical <laughs> achievement, um, and um, yeah, different people will agree with it. So there you are. That's my number four choice. Peter Jackson's They Shall Not Grow Old. Very good. So, Tim, would you like to give us another choice from you? Yeah, okay. First, oh, well, this is going to raise an eyebrow. Okay, uh, my number four is Mission Impossible Fallout. 
does not surprise me, Tim. I know you love this film. I love this film. Mm. Um, dare I say, this is a, this film has a um, as a, a vibe, a, 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 a joie de vivre, and a joy that perhaps some of the recent Bond films haven't. Even though I do love the recent mm. Bond films, um, and much of the time we we approach a movie franchise with this idea that it doesn't find itself getting better from episode to episode. And, Contrary to that, I think over the last three films, Mission Impossible films, I found themselves, I found them getting better and better. Um, uh, and I think Tom Cruise has probably, and his collaboration with Christopher McQuarrie over the last two films, been instrumental in making sure that each film has topped the one that's come before. Mm. Not just in the kind of technical um, action stunt craziness, like, you know, cruising the Burj Khalifa or hanging off an Airbus or whatever the hell. Yeah. Tom Cruise wants to do um, and, um, but the idea is actually that whilst the action scenes I think are the most fresh and committed action scenes I've seen in, fil- in films for a number of years I'd also say that the storyline in this film is very very good and has a personal has a personal storyline continuing the characters from the previous film Solomon Lane played brilliantly like Sean Harris um, you know our kind of team Simon Pegg Ving Rhames Alec Baldwin so on and so forth you know you've got a kind of rooted team um, but also this storyline involving his wife and the kind of stakes being high and also kind of the other thing that's really important is a plot that isn't just linear and unpredictable there are there are twists and turns that make kind of the old school notion of Mission Impossible and the kind of you know wearing masks and who's doing what and mm. does it look what it seems to be and all that kind of joyful stuff is there um, and I think that the, that the heart is Tom Cruise's commitment and full force he's a nutter isn't he <laughs> um, the, the, the cast the cast is having a lot of fun it's really well written it's really well directed um, and the twist and surprises work, as I say. Um, and I think it's the best Mission Impossible film yet. Um, and that's saying something because I thought the, the one before Rogue Nation was excellent too. I haven't seen, I haven't seen it, but I've I've heard lots of people say, not just you, that it's one of the best action films I've ever seen as well. I mean, we it's one it? of the best action films of the last few years. Mm. And, you know, you can give me all the Marvel films you want. This film, this film is is on the ground. There's there's some wonderful standout fights. It's a wonderful scene in a bathroom, mm. in an, um, an invo- you know, just hand to hand action, you know, which is absolutely riveting. And you know, and they're working and, together again now on the uh, what's it, aren't they? Um, uh, what's it called? Top Gun sequel. Yeah. And largely trying to get people to fiddle with their TV settings. <laughs> That's the thing we've seen them doing those two recently, haven't they? And um, um, um and um, you know, there's, there's another, there's another, there's a wonderful scene, a chase scene through Paris, and you, you you're going, you, you're looking at this, you know, uh, Ethan Hawke on a, uh, Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hunt, Ethan <laughs> Hawke would be a very different thing. Mm. Ethan Hunt on a motorcycle going around um, the Arc de Triomphe and then through the streets of Paris, and you're like, how are they actually achieving this? How you actually not and there's no join, there's no like you, you can you're seeing something that's done for real and for yeah. live, and it's it's kind of like the next evolution beyond the Paul Greengrass Bourne thing, which everyone has aped over the last ten years. The, the up close, you want to feel every punch. Oh yeah, action style. Um, and this is kind of taking it on. They're using the technology in a way that it looks real and seamless and is because Tom Cruise is on it he is falling off he is getting hurt he is leaping off that building and the one scene where he breaks his knee in London where he jumped off that building and broke his knee that scene is in there and you, every time you see it you're like oh, ooh um, it's, and it's funny mm. yeah there you go there we go so Tim is uh, it commercial. giving a shout out for uh, Mission Impossible Fallout I'm not going to ask Lucy if she's seen it because I, I know Don't the answer she has. 
You haven't, have you? I'm afraid not. No, that's no, fair no. enough. It's Lucy, not your Lucy. Lucy, as we say, is uh, is scouring the art houses for us. So um, I, I love this differentiation. Yeah, well, that you're I think Wait till you great. get to my number two. Well, no, then I'll put you. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to see your number two. Um, no, Lucy. So I suspect you're um, you're you're going to come up with something that's not quite the same as Mission Impossible Fallout. Or yeah, am I wrong? I, I'm bringing it back to some proper joy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another laugh. <laughs> minute uh <laughs> paul schrader's sequel to first reformed <laughs> no second I, reformed it's, um getting more beautiful but uh, a lot sadder too okay um yeah. so I'm, I'm going with cold war uh, ah, we just had the soundtrack from yes beautiful. pavel Koski. Mm-hmm. That's well done. Uh, yes, I like excuse that. me if it's better than Desplat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's starring Joanna Kulig, who you just heard singing mm-hmm. a moment ago, and Thomas Cott, um, who are the main characters, Zula and Victor. And it's set against the background of the Cold War and the um, communist countries, the Eastern Bloc. Um, and then transfers over to Paris nearer the end. So it goes across Poland, Berlin, Yugoslavia, and um, it's all in black and white at a quite high contrast. So it really highlights the, the bleakness and the coldness and how contrasting the characters are as well. Um and their experiences, whilst they're very similar in many ways, how different they are in terms of their backgrounds and how they, in many ways, they they shouldn't go together. And it's that impossibility of their relationship which is what drives it. So it's a, a star-crossed lover's situation um but without the lavish background and more of the the snow and the sadness <laughs> um, but it, it's a, a epic love story um set in such a difficult situation but also set to the most wonderful music um so that the they're musicians and they struggle to keep their performance and their expression going through these such difficult times and trying to get them to last through such difference in the places they go through. They're constantly having to adjust to where they find themselves and that's part of what makes things so difficult for them because to try and constantly renew yourself depending on where you find yourself it it makes it impossible for them to really know each other in in their outer lives so they have this such deep connection but their, their external situations are so far removed that trying to keep that together is practically impossible. Well, don't spoil the ending. No, 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 I I couldn't. Uh, I I wouldn't dare. Despite all this, though, it's 
the most beautiful, beautiful thing. It's completely heart-wrenching and there's so many scenes that are completely breathtaking. And I watched it twice within 10 hours, I think, and then the the one song from it, um, Dan Saduska, um, I played it on repeat for, for days after <laughs> it was all I could listen to. And it's just enchanting. Sumptuous is the way I describe the soundtrack. I've listened to the soundtrack album. It's yes, it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's um, it has a lot of traditional music in it, and it's been reset. Mm. And it's just incredible. And it's actually having a re-showing at the Electric on Sunday, the twenty seventh of January. I need to go see. Yeah, really? you, you really do. Um. I saw. I'm in my looking at it, looking at the shots and the trailer reminds me of Ida, and um, yes. because of the yes. black and white, and because of the director, and yes. clearly there's there's a guys who do somber and beautiful. You know, the directors that do somber and beautiful, and mm. this director does somber and beautiful as well as anyone. I think better, better <laughs> than beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I I was again gutted to miss it in the first run. Mm. Um, so mm. that it's showing again. I'm I'm there. Well, yes. I've got a nice a nice link actually from from there to the electric cinema and black and white films. Is I want to talk about something that's I want to introduce um, Rob Stone from B Film uh, now. Um, B Film, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is the University of Birmingham's film research unit, and uh, very good they are too. Um, now they are doing a lecture, or they have a guest lecture. They do one every year, and I, I love them. I've been to a couple, and I really really. Uh, recommend you go they have an annual lecture in it's going to be on the 23rd of february at the electric cinema with professor david martin jones of the university of glasgow giving a lecture um i don't know any detail about what the lecture is about but it's always fascinating um and then it follows up with a screening of uh, the black and white uh, adventure drama embrace of the serpent which was a 2015 drama set in the the early 1900s in the uh, colombian amazon uh, rainforest um and uh, you can see that on the 23rd of february 12 till 3 p.m at the electric cinema here in birmingham and as you are a loyal scream brum listener i hope you're out there um you can go for free subject to availability if you um if they have available seats you can get a free ticket if you visit the facebook page of b film um and send them a message and tell them that scream brum sent you uh, and if they if they have seats left, um, you will hopefully get a free ticket. Um, so um, there you go. I would uh, recommend getting along to that. Uh, you may see one or more of us there. Um, and I want to, wanted to introduce uh, Rob Stone now because he talks about uh, Cold War as well uh, in his uh, excerpt now. So I won't spoil what he's going to say about it, but um, we'll play this now. So this is Rob Stone, Professor. Rob Stone, I like saying Professor. We know professors on this show, you know. We've had professors on and everything. We're dead clever us. Um, and uh, let us know uh, if you agree with Rob's thoughts. Here we go. Hello, Screen Brum. Happy New Year to you. I think 2018 was the year that any distinction between film and television disappeared for good. OK, there were big audience-pleasing movie events like Mission Impossible Fallout, Avengers Infinity War and Bohemian Rhapsody, which I enjoyed a lot. But mostly, I think, I'll remember 2018 for the quality of its television series, which was astoundingly high while the best films, to my mind, were small-scale, intimate dramas. As Netflix proved with Roma, which I'm sorry to say I haven't seen yet, 
It no longer mattered where you saw things. Not really. Amongst the stuff I loved watching, at the cinema, well, there was Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace, an intimate consideration of survivalism in Trump's America. That was an early contender for my film of the year. I also loved the first hour of A Star Is Born, not so much the second hour. And I thought Pavlikovsky's Cold War was wonderful, but so brief. It could have been a ten-hour series and I'd have been impatient for season two. On Netflix, well worth seeking out is Shirkers, which is terrific. A homemade meditation on identity that ends up a treatise on all the histories, personal and national, that go untold. But my film of the year, the one I loved wholeheartedly the first time I saw it, and then more and more each time I've watched it, that was Ladybird. And that's the first of what I think is going to be many great films from the great Greta Gerwig. Christine? Ladybird. Is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quote? Well, I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. On other screens, well, I love the black humour of Barry, but it was performances by females that really made my viewing year. Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson in Sharp Objects. Rhea Seahorn as Kim in Better Call Saul, which has long ago surpassed Breaking Bad. The plight of Kim is almost too painful to watch. And then there was The Little Drummer Girl, the adaptation of the John Le Carré novel by Park Chan-wook, with his palette of greens and burnt oranges, and an absolutely terrific performance by Florence Pugh. And my number one small-screen viewing pleasure, that was easily Killing Eve, which I found thrilling from beginning to end, for many reasons, not least because of Jodie Comer, who was just sensational as Villanelle. When was the last time you worked? Yesterday. Was it a successful mission? I shot him twice in the heart and watched the spark drain from his eyes. She's fine. Thank you. So, that was my top ten. Thanks for asking. All the very best to you for 2019. There we are. That was Rob Stone of B-Film, University of Birmingham's top ten. And amongst those was one of my choices, so I'm going to whiz through that, which was... um, Killing Eve as well, which, as Rob mentioned there, um, uh, BBC, I think it's BBC America production. I loved it. I thought it was hilariously funny, brilliantly new. I think that was the thing that excited me about it most is different voices, you know, female-fronted, female-written, um, and about female relationships and, and the way in which they kind of explore it. I just thought it was fantastic. Um, if anyone hasn't seen that, that is my choice to recommend, and it's going to be a second series this year as well. So it's something to look forward to. So um, um, that was um, Rob Stone, and um, that was me shouting about Killing Eve. Have we had any other any other choices online? We've had several contributions um, and some really good lists. So um, a couple. Um, there is one from Chronicle Art. Um, whose five choices are Bohemian Rhapsody, A Quiet Place, Apostle, which was a Netflix release, Mm. Avengers Infinity Wars, and Ghost Stories. Mm. Ghost Stories is confusing because I think it was also this year that A Ghost Story came out that as well. That was last year. Or was that oh, last, well, or, now, that was 2016, was it? Last, right. Yes. But yeah, Ghost Stories is the British one, isn't it? The, yes, uh, with yeah. Martin Freeman amongst uh, Jeremy, Yeah, Jeremy, yeah. D- Jeremy Dyson. Jeremy Dyson. Um, Dyson. Play, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was great. Um, yeah. it, it's in my honourable mentions list for the year, for sure. Mm. Yeah. 
And um, Joel Blackledge also included ghost stories, um, as well as You Were Never Really Here, Phantom Thread, First Reformed, and Shoplifters. Keeping it happy there. Good, good lovely. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, good list, man. Very good list. Yeah, some great ones. Yes, um, if I would put You Were Never Really Here as my favourite score of the year, I think. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood did the score for it. So there's been a good well, year. Well, there's for two Johnny Greenwood. Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread yeah. as well. That's right. And then, yeah. of course, uh, Tom York uh, uh, did uh, <laughs> Sus- Suspiria. Suspiria, yes. I never heard of that. So Which the score I've had on a lot for Suspiria, but I would never watch the film again. Oh, right. I'm okay. a big Radiohead fan. And I, every time he. I, 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 this has been my closet thing for about 15 years. Anytime <laughs> anyone mentions Tom York. <laughs> Yeah. Do the Tom York dance. Uh, um, in case you don't understand why we're mentioning these names, they're both in uh, Radiohead. Or as Tim always says, Radiohead! There we go. Um, so wonderful. Radiohead. Right. So um, I've, I've given you uh, my number three as um, Killing Eve. Tim, would you like to tell us what, what, uh, what got you kind of mid table excited in. Um, 2018. Uh, I am going back to the start of 2018. It's, it's, it's one of those things we talked about, again, another thing we talked about, like Lucy, is getting the dates right. Because um, when uh, Lucy was putting together her Fit Five, um, Greatest Showman was in the mix, wasn't it? And you forget that it was a 2017 release. Um, this was a 2018 release in the UK, and uh, it's Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. Mm. Um, I'm surprised that was this year, because it, it was good, didn't it? Yes, uh, it was so long ago. So, um, Game of the Toro's um, um, YouTube... Or Splash 2, as I call Splash it. Splash 2, that's very good. <laughs> I like that, that's very good, yeah. Del Toro's Mute Human Meets Fish Romantic Fable. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, <laughs> I'm, at least he put a, a spin on that tired old trope. That, that old it, trope, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there are very few directors who can do this thing, um, which is to create fairy tale um tear tear jerking romance and um old school hollywood evocation with um sheer horror and um, nastiness of humanity um we, we this is a trope that we we know there's very much a Guillermo del Toro, del Toro thing where the the fantasy world is definitely the place to be um and, th- and there are lovely humans within the ri- who blur the lines between the real world and the fantasy world, as uh, as played beautifully by Sally Hawkins, uh, who is just um, she's otherworldly in this film. Mm. You know that cl- and she she inhabits the character um, like you know in that way that I think you know um, Ophelia does in um, I'm having a media moment in the other. Game of Del Toro film that I'm starting to think about. At Pan's the Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, yep. And um, sort of kind of the the way that he does it and the way he brings the characters together in that kind of weepy, romantic and beautiful nature. It's very honest and very um, generous in terms of the spirit of human and fantasy nature. Uh, and um, at, on the on the contrast, there is the, um, the villain of the piece played by Michael Shannon, who uh, is Michael Shannon. That is Michael Shannon best. Michael um, Shannon should basically be in all the films. Yeah. That's what I think. He should be in all and the films and all the TV and all the photographs. Yeah, another reason why, uh, to add to Rob Stone, another reason why Little Drummer Girl is amazing mm. is because Michael Shannon is very good and it has the weirdest accent, but it works. Um, Popularising the moustache, which is, oh, you uh, know, yeah, I, now, I, I was I saying, you, you have just taken Michael Shannon's moustache from Little Drummer Girl. Yeah. 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 You should put a picture, I, I shall, what I'll do is, I'll, after the show, I'll get a picture of him from Little Drummer Girl and you. 
and I'll put them next, and you, you'll see. Can you tell the difference? Diff- there won't be a difference. There will Just be need the you to wear a brown <laughs> suit, and you're there. Anyway, um, Del Toro is one of my favourite directors. He does horror and fantasy, and 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 sort of honest, sort of uh, fairy tale stuff better than anyone. It got best Oscar. Probably shouldn't have done. Disturb, disturb. Well, I think it was. The, I think it was. It was. The, it was. It was. And it, I can't call this a safe. The safe piece of work, though, it is quite nasty and it is very uh, on the on the nose, and mm-hmm. the horror is always still there. Um, but um, it's a beautiful film, inhabited by a beautiful score by Desplat. And um, <laughs> that's definitely not how you pronounce it. I'm sure. <laughs> Let us know if you're a if you're a francophone out there. Desplat. Diplat, Diplat, it's Diplat. I'm pretty much it's Diplat. I'd love Diplat to do a Bond, be the next Bond score guy as well. Anyway, after that, anyway, love it. Brilliant film, Shape of Water. The Shape of Water feels like an age ago. We've all aged a lot over the course of 2018, haven't we? Yeah. Um, Fantastic. Thank you very much for that choice, Um, Lucy. Would you like to to um, to introduce your Number three choice. We're getting into the exciting stages now. Go on then. So I'm going. Bronze medal goes to. Goes to climax by Mm. Gaspar Noe. Right, another another kind of riotous comedy film. There are funny moments in it. I haven't seen it, but it looks terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. So Gaspar Noe, famous for Irreversible, Irreversible, which is other such films. Yeah, other such laughs. Yeah. We're being well, ironic the, here. They're horrible. <laughs> well, the, po- uh, the first poster for it was, you despised I Stand Alone, you hated Irreversible, you loathed Enter the Void, you cursed love, now try Climax. Mm. So no, he, he's kind of riffing on his own reputation yeah. there, as he always does, um, to great effect. So he... The the great thing about it was he managed to be quite secretive about making it and kind of just suddenly dropped it on Cannes, which is quite a feat now with there being so much film coverage over social media and all that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think one of the ways he managed to do that was also one of the best things that fed into um, how atmospheric the film was was he only had one named actor in there and the rest were all dancers um, quite you know unless you're in certain dance circles in France maybe you you wouldn't have a clue who they Mm. were so as the name suggests this is quite a sexually explicit film is that right? At times it's um, not too far like that as you'd expect it's um very loosely based on a true story um from the 90s of a dance troupe being spiked with lsd and how that turned out for them which as you'd imagine wasn't that well um so the the but the film opens with the most impressive piece of choreography i've ever seen on screen and with nose kind of trademark cyclic camera movements it really adds into that and it it makes it it makes you feel quite motion sick which is one of the hardest things about all of his other films as well it's they're 
sickening in some ways in terms of their content, but it's the movement and that kind of droning sound he often uses which make them even harder to watch. It's I, I only kind of discovered that's what it was towards the end of one of the repeat viewings of one of his films. It, it was sort of, yes, the content is disturbing, but why did I feel that horrible, unstoppable nausea and uncomfort really with that? It sounds oh, yes. in a, yeah. it's a um, great date movie. But it's that movement. It's nonstop. It's constantly circling. And he uses that through a lot of his films. Um, but with this, it, it's an ever-growing discomfort and the camera moves more and the sound moves more. It's got a fantastic soundtrack as well. And in true no style, he kind of interrupts the film at some point around halfway through to just to give you um, the names of who's on the soundtrack. <laughs> and it's brilliant. It gives you credits at the start and halfway through. Nothing at the end. It's just he give, he gives you the credits where he thinks you should notice them, so you know who's been part of it. And I love that. Mm. So you have to pay attention to who's worked on it. And it, it's here. It goes through from this fantastic dance piece and just descends into something hellish and uh, truly truly hellish and but it's such a fun ride <laughs> it, it it really is and i i loved seeing a completely full screen for it as well it only had a about a week's worth of screenings i think but every single one of them was packed and i loved that and um the way well there was a date next to me and they were suitably uncomfortable <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's an interesting choice Gaspar Noe is fun that's what you're saying this one has an edge of fun to it it's playful yeah in, in, in an uncomfortable yes. yeah the way I describe yeah. Gaspar Noe and this is one of the things I, I appreciate about him um, is that he's one of these few directors that he that can be described as three-dimensional Yes, there's always... And he's also bank. actually even four-dimensional because I think he breaks, he does break the fourth wall in, um, in, in, in many ways, sexually explicit and otherwise if you've seen Love. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so he does things with, he does things to, he does things that are very much, again, another director who likes to stick a finger up to convention and stick a finger up to the critics and, and just basically go, you hated this, you despise this, you're going to hate this too. That's his basic nature to, um, to, to cinema, isn't it? this went down brilliantly. Yeah, this is actually being well, this this is being well received. Been really well received. You know, and I haven't seen that from him since, oh God, for years, you know. Um, what was, I mean, Irreversible was, was badly received. Um, um, that made me very unhappy. Yeah, uh, even though uh, I, 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 um, I, I'm trying to think. It would be worrying if it didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm just trying to go back, you know, thinking of all these films. You know, which ones have really been well received? Um, but well, I, I never, not, I never have a dull time point. when I watch his films. No, you, you won't. You won't. Um, and he's managed to contain this one in, <laughs> to a degree. So it, it's. Rather than something like Enter the Void, which is so sprawling, it's it's fantastic, but it it goes on a bit. Um, and rather than going 
so far it, it's difficult to take in. He, he is quite contained with this. So it, it is watchable in a way that people probably haven't found a lot of his other films to be. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, our recommendation here on the screen button them shows possibly not show it to your grandma. Um, don't know your grandma then yeah depending on who your grandma is of course um, um, but, but yes do watch that Casper Noyes <laughs> climax um, we are getting into we're in the second half of the show now and we've still got three each to do so I'm going to move make that two each two each to do sorry yeah. I'll do you another three if you we like we can carry on um, um, off a lot on we'd like phone. to hear more I want to uh, play uh, a track which will reveal my choice which I think uh, a lot of people will probably know uh, the tune and, um, and and the choice. So let us know what you think. Here we go. You know this, right? Let me tell you. Oh, of course, that is when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings by um, I was going to say Willie Nelson. It's Willie Watson and Tim Blake. Nelson, there we go. Um, it's always good to have a, a Blake-named film star. And that is from The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers anthology uh, western. Now, I'm actually putting two together for this one. Uh, I'm using this as an opportunity to get two films in one, which is, uh, and a re- reason will become clear, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Coen Brothers' um, wonderful western, um, and Annihilation, which is Alex Garland's uh, psychedelic sci-fi with Natalie Portman. Um, two very different films in many ways, but two one thing they have, two things they have in common really. One is um, they're very visual. They're they're both big picture movies, um, and perversely they were both released on Netflix, so you were seeing them on a small screen. Um, and in both cases, I. Loved them. I loved the the films. I loved the the way they were made. But I both uh, in both cases, I thought oh, I'd love to have seen this in a cinema, especially Annihilation for the soundtrack and the sounds. I think it would have that kind of much more visceral feeling. Um, so I think that's an interesting discussion to be had, and lots of people have talked about it. But just just quickly talk about the, the films. Annihilation. If you haven't seen that, it's a, it's a, a, an adaptation of a Jeff Mattenderbeer novel. It's queasy, it's unsettling, it's got lots of really interesting use of colour and sound, atmospherics. It's a sort of sci-fi film in the tradition of 2001 and Arrival. Um, you know, big themes about humanity and loss and, and all those big issues. Terrifying as well, and places really, really frightening. Uh, and, and, and great uh, cast, mainly female cast throughout. Um, and then we've got The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a series of, uh, of vignettes, if you like. I think it's about six different stories. Um, and they're all, it all has the classic black humour of the Coens. Very, very funny. Lots of sort of, you know, people kind of being the agents of their own sort of destruction. I mean, one of the, the Zoe Kazan one is really, really, yeah. really heartbreaking. Um, and these, you know, because it's an anthology, these things often, you know, they often have, pat- they can be regarded as patchy. But it was interesting, I was looking at critics ranking them, which is a bit of a pernicious thing to do. But anyway, they all were in completely different order. All the critics that have done it did them in completely different order, which I think is a very good sign that there wasn't a, a kind of duff one. It was just about your your personal taste. For me personally, the, the one with um, 
gravel voice man whose name I've now forgotten. Swordfish Trombones, come on, help me out here. Tom Waits, Tom one Waits. of the greatest people to ever. What the ever hell is he building in there? Yes, uh, he his sequence <laughs> is a gold panel. As a, exactly, as a, sort of, as a prospector is beautiful, and it just looks gorgeous. So. Um, I would, I would really. Um, yeah, that one's called Old Gold Canyon. That's right, um, and it just looks beautiful. I mean, I don't think the kind of American West, those kind of beautiful landscapes, have ever looked better uh, than in this film. Beautifully shot, beautiful, brightly coloured, almost sort of, almost kind of comic booking. Really, really brightly saturated colour. Brilliant. But then, yeah, like I say, interesting watch because obviously I never get to go to cinema. I just sit and watch telly at home. Um, is that they're both you know small screen productions and huge films with them. We've had this year we've had Net, uh, Netflix have released Bird Box, which has been a huge smash for them, um, a, a sci-fi film in the vein of A Quiet Place. But it's all on this on this small screen. And does does this mean the end of cinema? I don't know. What do you think, guys? No. No. Okay. No. Good. Let's move on then. <laughs> I, I absolutely, I've really loved both of the films you've just mentioned, particularly Buster Scruggs. It was yes. just fantastic. Um, but both, and Roma as well, which was a mm. Netflix release. That's right. It's Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah, I do think all of them suffered from not being able to see on a screen. But that's my personal view because I. I all of them I would have loved to see on a big screen. Again. Why would you never want to see Roma, a cool on film on a yeah, big screen? Yeah, yeah. It, it's the most cinematic of directors. Yeah, in R- Roma in particular. I, I really, um, I wasn't that impressed by it when I watched it. And I really think a big part of why was because it was difficult to focus on on such a small screen. Because you were watching it on your screen. phone, weren't you? No. <laughs> on a bus. No. no, I was watching it um, comfortably on my <laughs> sofa. Um, but it, it's... I really did think that mm. suffered from it because it was so beautifully shot mm. and the, the, the cinematography was lovely, as you'd expect. And you just can't get the full impact of it on your small TV screen. Well, I, I, I realise some people uh, you know, have TVs the side of their house. Yes, yeah, exactly. But I think um, the, other thing, the other side of that that I would say, for, for, for someone like myself, I don't get to go to the cinema as often as I would like because I've got young children. And um, I can sit and watch that. You know, I can get exposed to these films that probably would have been much more difficult for me to see otherwise. And also the cost. You know, going to cinema is increasingly expensive, I find, these days. I'm going there and spending, you know... 12, 15 quid to, to get in and maybe with your partner as well. Um, so, you know, Netflix is at least per- allowing another route into that uh, for people. So, you know, I, I'm very ambivalent about it, but, you know, I'm very glad I got to see both of those films. I mean, I share, I share the issues on cost, but on the same token, you know, there is something about scope and vista. And, uh, mm. you know, this is a guy who, you know, in my opinion, is, is one of the best Cinematog- cinemagraph- you know, director of photography cine- cinema Who are you scope. talking about here? About Alfonso Cuarón. Oh, yeah. When I'm talking about Roma, I want to see that on the big screen. Mm. You know, that's 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 how I feel. And, yeah. ne- and Netflix releases do get cinematic releases too. And that's yeah, really they do that sometimes so they can get Oscar thingy, don't they? Oscar but I mean, Cuarón's managed to get a lot of Os- uh, got a lot got a lot of awards attention for this without mm. it getting much cinematic. Annihilation did actually get um, one or two cinema screenings. I I think the only one around Birmingham was one night, uh, The Everyman. Mm. Um, But that's 
they, well, Annihilation went on to Netflix because the studios, um, once it was done, they didn't know what to do with mm. it. They didn't think it would be a commercial success. They thought putting it into cinemas would be a really bad move. Mm. So they went with streaming, which is probably a bit different to Roma or something, because I think that was a conscious decision mm. from Quaron to do that. And I think one of his reasons for it was what you've just said about accessibility. Yeah. And which that's quite a noble thing in a way, really, mm. trying to make your work as accessible to all people as possible. And I, I do admire that in a lot of ways. Yeah. I just feel that, you know, it's the award season and this is the time in which you want to put those award nominated films onto the big screen mm. so that as many people as possible not and who don't have Netflix subscriptions can see it. Mm. Um, and I would be first in queue for Buster Scruggs. So let us know what you think. If you are, you know, if you're a fan of Netflix, other streaming services are available. I think Paul Greengrass's film, you know, the um, one about... Uh, Oh, the one about um, what's it? Seventh of July or twenty first of July, whatever it's called. Yeah, um, that was a, that was a Netflix release. It and was, had, yeah. and it was a similar had a similar uh, tale to sell. You know, it was all it was Netflix and not much cinematic release. Mm. And we did have a great tweet, and I think it was from Tom Kavanagh. Um, he made a great point of all of well, the majority of us will have favourite films that we've probably not had the opportunity to see on the big screen, um, most likely because the time they were released, they were before we were born or we've never had the opportunity to. And then we've seen on DVD at a later date or video or however we've got to see it. And they're part of our favourite films and things we really love and admire. So that, in a way, why should we be biased against yeah, well, that. It, it's that Bandersnatch thing again. Coming back to that Bandersnatch thing is this idea is one of the things that was interesting about the production. So Bandersnatch again, I'm sure people at home will know this, but you know, you can choose, you press a button whilst you watch the film and it goes in different directions. You can choose the way it goes. And therefore, all of us that will watch that will see, essentially see a different film. Um, and, and, and that's a sort of slightly disturbing feeling that we're all watching something different. And therefore, you know, how can we talk about it and how can we kind of have a shared experience of it? But I guess what you're saying is is, is the same thing with anything. You know, the way that, that Tim watched Goonies for the first time is probably very different from the way I watched Goonies for the first time. And, 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 and those experiences are not, you know, are just unique to you anyway. So, you know, are we getting too precious about the idea of having them as a shared experience? I don't know. What do you think? Tweet us at Scream Brum. Have we got any tweets in? Have we had any, any other one, any other top fives? I know we've yeah, had um, um, Joseph Oldham. Hello, hello, Joseph. At Paranoid Stylist, who was in uh, Before Christmas, talking about paranoid paranoid conspiracy TV and things. We are watching you, Joseph. No, we're not. Um, Widows um, was his favourite film of the year. Um, Mm -hmm. He says it's tragically overlooked. I would say it's been... A lot of my circles really loved it. Yeah, and, I've heard, uh, heard a lot of good things. I've uh, not seen it again. I, uh, I'm still stuck on the 80s uh, TV version. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love the fact that Steve McQueen has worked with uh, Gillian, uh, I've forgotten her surname, uh, uh, to do something a bit more mainstream and a bit more, um, you know, straight-laced. Straight mm-hmm. I think it's a really I think it's a really good piece of work. I mm-hmm. think that uh, 
very, very strong ad- a strong adaptation of very strong female characters as well. We like that. Yeah. Okay. Any other any other comments from people? Uh, yes, we've had Marcus, the Marco guy, tweet in with um, Overlord, Hostiles, the Miseducation of Cameron Post, and First Reformed. Mm. Uh, the Miseducation of Cameron Post was a really nice release. That was very enjoyable. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen any of the others. Overlord is the J.J. Abrams thing. I yes, think. yeah. Um, sort of World War Two horror thing, um, which I think was not very successful at the box office. But, uh, there we go. Uh, not that that means anything. Mm. Um, right, okay. So, And we have had Carl Josbury um, give... Hello, Carl. Give his top five, which are Lucky, Leave No Trace, Climax, Itonia, and Annihilation. Mm. Uh, Itonia came quite close to being in one of my lists. It's fantastic. It's really great performance of Marvel. Yeah, Robbie, yeah, that? really great. It's all about Alice and Janney for me, that film. Yes, mm. yes. <laughs> and Leave No Trace was a really impressive piece, and that's actually Mark Commode's film of the year yes it is yeah yeah and it, it's if you haven't seen it it is really worth it's watching ben Foster, survivalist yes it? yeah it's, really it, it's another film by the maker of winter's bone mm. which that was my favorite film of the year that came out probably about five years ago now oh, yeah. i think Amazing film. yeah and it's very much in the same kind of style and lots um, of nature isn't it lots yes of sort of yeah it's stuff. lovely looking and it, it's very much a physical performance piece. It's very low key and not not physical in terms of it. You know, it's very active, but it's all about expression and looks, and it's very discreet and very low key. As I said, it, it's it's really really lovely, and I know Carl said it, it's um, a lot more moving for a father watch um, right well let's not burst into tears on the radio the boss would not like the water <laughs> on the uh, on the deck um, so Tim I'm, I've lost track of our numbers now we're in number twos we're into we our top are. twos Sil- so, silver medal silver medal have you got a silver medal position Tim yes I have my silver medal <laughs> silver medal uh, my number two um, for what it's worth is uh, Michael Pierce's directorial feature Beast Remember Beast? Yeah, I liked back. that one a lot. Johnny Flynn, yeah. isn't it? Johnny Flynn, yeah, and Jesse Buckley. Um, one of the sweatier films I saw this year. Um, <laughs> and, and Jersey has never seen more bloodthirsty than this film. Uh, even with Bergerac. Uh, yeah, and there's no episode of Bergerac that quite, uh, as quite, quite meets up to this, especially as we know in this film, the cops are pretty dubious and dodgy I think everyone in this film is pretty so this is, is a, a, pretty a kind of, uh, a, kind of it's a murder mystery coming oh, of age it's kind of a psycho romantic thriller mm-hmm. for want of a better um, yeah starring um, brilliant rising stars Jesse Buckley and Johnny Flynn uh, kind of a, a classic example of opposites attract or maybe they're not opposites uh, or are they mm-hmm. um, uh, Jesse Buckley plays this uh, flame haired character called Mole um, she's a kind of a unhappy twenty-something a misfit, for want of a better word, um, under the thumb of a uh, domineering 
mother, played brilliantly by Geraldine James. Um, only Geraldine James can play a mum like that, I think. Um, and she, uh, not very happy, kind of outcast in the family, um, and meets a character played by Johnny Flynn called Pascal, who's this kind of outcast man of mystery, lives in, lives lives away from the town, it's kind of uh, has unruly methods, unusual, quite scary. And, but at the same time appealing if you're mole mm-hmm. and a series of murders are taking place grisly murders in, on the island of Jersey everyone suspects Pascal but what the what the uh, what the, the plot then proceeds to do is make everyone look a bit, bit suspicious uh, even down to the cops so yeah hence it's not an episode of Bergerac um, um, and it's kind of like becomes a guessing game a kind of uh, cat and mouse thriller romance crime but the thing that makes it stand out is this film has a real um, uh, art house Euro cinema sensibility, particular French sensibility, I think, that uh, mm. it kind of evokes um, a bit of Hanukkah and a bit of Francois Ozon, I think. It reminds me of those two the most. Um, and we talked a little bit um, about the na- uh, in other films about the way that nature uh, contrasts with what's going on. The, the film ha- has wonderful cinematography where you've got the big vistas of Jersey and then the close-up shots of these characters. And that's what makes you feel uncomfortable because you are uh, once in the nature of the Jersey and then you're right up front, right up close to how scared Mole is getting about Pascal, but it's still being drawn into it. Mm. You know, drawn into his, uh, is, he, is he really a murderer? No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. It could be someone else. No, it's Pascal. No, it could be. And it keeps going. It keeps driving it closer until the denouement. And it is, uh, yes, yeah, as a piece of suspense, I, it, it works. I was deeply uncomfortable watching the film. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lovely piece of work. And Michael Pierce is a very talented director. So that's my number two pick. Fantastic. Um, Beast. Beast, and I love the font for Beast as well. It's a lovely, it's, it's a gothic, lovely, it's very it? gothic font as well. It's like some sort of um, uh, thrash metal uh, album. Yeah, it does. It does feel like a Motorhead album from yeah. the from late. Oh yeah, it's kind of Beast. A fantastic choice. I think that is streaming. Um, I've seen that on Amazon Prime. I think it's a really lovely choice. I really enjoyed that film. It's uh, fits into Lucy's very uh, atmospheric. Yeah, Lucy's uh, the pattern is emerging here. Uh, <laughs> with, you know, you want it's the sweaty films that make you feel uncomfortable. I'm so, glad I've, I've picked something on Lucy's side of the, uh, of so, the cinematic <laughs> equation here. So, yeah. so Lucy, on, on that note, uh, what else would you like to add for us? Um, I'm going for Wildlife, Paul Dano's directorial yeah. debut. So you'll know him from. There Will Be Blood, Swiss Army Man, Love and Mercy, mm-hmm. right back to Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. He's an actor I absolutely love, so I was really hoping he'd be as good a director as an actor. And thankfully he is. So That's that awesome. that was very a, a, a great thing. So who's in this? <laughs> um, it features Jake Gyllenhaal and Carrie Mulligan, who... Uh, their absolute forces in it. The, their performances are some of the best they've done, if not the best, probably. Um, it's based on the book by Richard Ford, which I have to admit I haven't read the book, so I'm not positive how close it is in interpretation. But it, it's it's wonderful. It, it's um, so I, I hoped it would be good, but I didn't expect it to be as good as it is 
Um, so that was just so exciting, really. And it it's just, it pins you to your seat, despite being um, a family drama, really. It's so evocative and it, it's so gripping. And it, it's about a family um, with a teenage son. The, the father loses his job when they move to a new town um, quite soon after anyway. And he decides to go off to fight wildfires mm. up in the hills. And it's the breakdown of their family relationship. And it's brilliantly told from all three perspectives. So the father, the mother and the teenage son. And I don't think I've seen that ever done so well to tell it from all those three people's views and their personal emotional experience. And like I say, I don't think I've seen that ever done like like it is in this and it's such incredible performances and it's beautifully set the the costumes and the 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 sets of the houses they're, they're also accurately done and so naturalistic um it's 40s 50s set and it, it's just I, I really can't say anything ab- apart from it's just so good that's quite a recent release isn't it yes sure it was uh, about um two months ago maybe um so i went in the afternoon and i it's something that increasingly bugs me of cinemas are getting louder and audiences seem to be getting less You're focused. You're getting older. In that's <laughs> what it is. You're getting more of a commercial. <laughs> that's entirely possible too. Um, but it was completely silent. I don't think anyone moved for the whole thing. And at the end, it was one of those things where no one knew when to get up. It was, everyone just sat there. And that's always a good signal of how good a film has been. And I didn't move until the very last credit had gone up. Well, hopefully Um, we'll hear more, see more good things from Paul. Yes, I really hope so. I really hope so. And as I say, I think it's probably the best performances I've seen from Gyllenhaal and Mulligan, who are always fantastic anyway. So to get to that kind of a point is that... Gyllenhaal, I think, has awards all over the place ahead of him. He he's something else in that. So even even despite him being absent for quite a chunk of the film, and Mulligan had um, struggles, are just so so deeply moving and so relatable. It. it it's just, yeah. Quite excited it. to see this. <laughs> I haven't seen it, Tim. Have you seen it? No, I didn't. No. I think Zoe Kazan's involved as a scriptwriter as well, isn't it? So it's a proper husband-wife. Yes, yes, yeah. Wife it's collaboration, a, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Zoe Kazan? Yes. Yeah, it's married to Paul Dano. Yeah. 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 Wow, power couple. <laughs> wow. They both have just amazing faces, frankly. Yeah, yeah. yeah Very they, quirky. Do you think they just look at each other across the breakfast table every morning and just lift an eyebrow and <laughs> express the entire range of human emotions. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. Um, so we are um, 
we're going to be approaching our, our number ones uh, soon. Um, mm. I want to play some more music. And this is uh, uh, my gift to you, Lucy. My New Year gift to you. You mentioned I'm Lucky. I'm excited. Oh, Harry yes. Dean Stanton's Thank you very much. final film. Is it his final film? Yes, it is. Um, and uh, so we'll have some. Not This isn't from the, the soundtrack to it, but this is Harry Dean Stanton Sings mm-hmm. after a fashion. Um, and um, it's, um, well, it's it's something to listen to. This is uh, the classic uh, Everybody's Talking from the greatest soundtrack album ever, which is um, Midnight Cowboy. Um, discuss. Uh, um, Nielsen version on there, but this is uh, Harry Dean Stanton singing it. So uh, we'll come back to you soon. Don't forget, you can still tweet us your top fives at Scream Brum. Now, do I have any, do I have any lines? <laughs> I love Actually quite affecting that, I think. That's Harry Dean Stanton's version of Everybody's Talking. Here on uh, Screen Brum, on Brum Radio, we're running through our review of the year 2018. Uh, and we're going to be uh, doing our number ones now. The best thing we thought, you know, it's, obviously it's not necessarily the best. Um, and um, I'm going to go first here. I've got a lot of things written down and I'm going to pull out one which I think may raise some eyebrows. Okay. Ready Player One. <laughs> it wasn't this year. What was it? Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. Right, now I'm getting faces pulled at me. Like, oh, he's being wacky. No, I'm not being ironic. I'm not being like, you know, funny. Here's my theory. Okay, listen to this. We are, we are in a, a, let's face it, a realm that makes all of those films we talked about, you know, Akira and um, 2019, After the Fall of Mankind, seem to be, you know current documentaries we're having a grim time of things on the global platform at the moment um so suddenly we're seeing what are the biggest films the biggest and surprisingly the biggest films of the last couple of years Mamma Mia Bohemian Rhapsody The Greatest Showman it is these unabashed musical in some ways what throwback extravaganzas that are that are you know we're not you know I don't think we're going to be going to see the quiet places as much anymore in these post-apocalyptic horrifiers. I think people want... Apart from me and Lucy. Apart from you and Lucy, but, you know, the, the, I think people want a bit of unalloyed joy and, 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 and you know, and yeah, bright, okay. beautiful you know, people, right. beautiful people know. in sunny settings singing lovely songs. Um, and that's what this <laughs> and film Pierce is. Brosnan. Yeah, and Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> and and that's, <laughs> that's what this film is. It's joyous. <laughs> It's actually, I mean, I don't know, I, I suspect neither of you have seen it, but um, it's, it's actually interesting structure as well. I mean, it's, it's, it is a, both a prequel and a sequel simultaneously, so it's a little bit adventurous. Dungarees to the max. Yeah, um, and it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a completely a blue sky and everyone's, you know, beautiful and singing, dancing, and there's not much more to say about it than that. It does what it wants to do, and it does it joyously. And I, I, I was, you know, I, I was compelled to listen to the soundtrack a lot by my family afterwards, um, and I've just been swept up with it. And um, I'm not saying it ironically or you know being wacky about it. I, you know, I genuinely felt this is a, a, um, a nice, you know, I know that. Well, we've listened to Lucy talking about, you know, if someone isn't having their eyes drilled out, it's not a film. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I'm coming down very much on the other side of things. A little bit of, a little bit of joy, a little bit of song and dance, song and dance man type stuff. So, yeah, my number one choice of 
the year 2018. Mamma mia, here we go again. Okay, now do your worst, you two. I'm happy that you're happy. I think that's that's the the prime thing is that, yeah, you're right, I guess. Um, I I do agree with you, really. I agree with you on the premise of it. Yes, I'm not even remotely ashamed to say that I love The Greatest Showman. Yeah. To the point where I've booked tickets for me and my sister to go and see Hugh Jackman. And I'm so excited. Mm. I, I think it, you, something happy and joyous. And I, I, I was so dubious about The Greatest Showman. And I know it's 2017 mm. release technically, so I can't really include it. But it's, it was absolute joy. I smiled so hard through the whole thing that my face hurt for like three days. This is it. I think, I think, you know, there's obviously there's a time for cynicism, but... Um, we are living in cynical times, it feels. And I, I feel suddenly, you know, I just want some uh, incredible sincere fluff. So that is my choice. I, I suspect, have you seen it? No. No. Um, I, guess I, I guess my only thing about it is I'm, in, I'm such a huge ABBA fan mm. that I find myself not being able to listen to other people singing those songs. Well, it's got and Cher that, in it. That's what all the and things Cher, say. And Cher's done a whole bloody album, excuse she my has. language, of, uh, of uh, ABBA songs. Yeah, and, she was taken with it, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, as I say, I, 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 that's the only thing I struggle with. The best bit about the original is Piers butchering SOS. <laughs> um, and yeah. I love, I love, I love, you know, I'm a big Brosnan Fan. Yeah, and, I, and and that, but the thing is, what else, what it what it says, and this is what it does say, is that everyone's having a laugh, mm-hmm. and you'll re- and you go along with yeah, that. You're in, and you're the film it, does, I know, the film does pack an emotional resonance for yeah. people, and it brings people to tears and in the, a joyful way. I, it, the, the, um, it, it's a surprising. Is that I can't tell you where that's going, but it's a, the surprise. It's surprising opening actually. Even at the first five minutes, you go, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So, um, yeah, you'd be surprised at what happens. So, we are. I'm going to leave it at there because we've got to... to I'm really happy that you've picked something that, like that. that. You know, that, that's, that's it's what great. I'm going with. And, 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 and it's a nod to, to Bohemian Rhapsody as well, which, you know, I didn't think was successful as a film, but, again, was, was hugely popular because it is, you know, it, it's just a sort of joyous kind of very straight version and, and it foregrounds lots of great singing and music and, and puts that in the middle of it all and says that's what we're really celebrating here and you know and that's you can't really uh, you can't get you know you, it's pretty joyless to get cynical about that or maybe. well it's this whole thing is in a and we've, you know, I stand up big time for Bohemian Rhapsody as a film um, even with all its faults right which have many mm. but the, the one thing I will definitely stand up about is this idea that people want to see a, a uh, an explicit um hall bells barred um drug fueled um you know they want to see all the all the the adult bits mm, of private life and i'm like no no they just want to see the you, big, the, 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 the the film isn't that's not what that film's about it's a celebration right? well, that's what she, in, yeah that's what know. show business in some way is uh, isn't it? it's show, don't, don't show us behind the scenes on a note on another note on that um, do watch the Bros documentary. Yeah, I really want to. For, s- I'm gonna you know, having said what <laughs> yeah. I've just said for the behind the scenes shenanigans of those two um, staging a, a comeback, it's it's quite a thing. It's brilliant. It's uh, after the screaming stops, I think it's called, and I'd recommend that as well. Brilliant. There we go. That's some of my choices. Right, we've only got 15 minutes of the show left, and we both have we have two more gold medals 
to give away. So, Tim, would you like to bestow your choice on yeah, the Yeah, this has been my number one since I've seen it. And nothing's going to knock it off this year. Um, it's the Isle of Dogs. I, 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 think not, I think you're probably not surprised me to say that. Mm, I think I've been saying Wes Anderson puppet. Yes. Um, I think it's a love of all things canine and appreciation of Japanese culture. So two things immediately that I kind of go my thumbs up to. Um, and also, what it is also is that you, for all for all of Wes Anderson's most uh, kooky and kind of out there quirky films, this one is um, an absolute touching doggy delight. Um, the kind of premise of the film is about um, uh, the sick dogs. Sick dogs. They're called alpha dogs, and they've been abandoned on a Japanese garbage island. Um, poor things, because they carry an illness, and the people on the main Japanese archipelago, or the people in charge, have basically said they've got to be banished to this garbage island. And one of them is um, one of them, whose name is Boss, um, portrayed by Brian Cranston, who sounds like Brian Cranston playing a dog. That's one of the things I love about this film is that all the dogs they sound like the people that portray them because they are, and that and that makes it more straight laced and more weird and in a wonderful way. And there's a there's a boy called um, a boy called um, uh, a, a boy who's trying to find find boss find his dog right um, and then you've got uh, Def Jeff Goldblum who plays Duke he's very gossipy you've got Bill Murray playing playing boss sorry I meant to say I, I meant to say spots not not boss because boss is played by Bill Murray spots played by Brian Cranston my bad um, and then um, the, the and then Nutmeg played by Scarlett Johansson who becomes uh, spots kind of uh, um, romantic interest in, as, the, <laughs> as the film goes on um, but the idea of the film basically is kind of a, it kind of like becomes a kind of a uh, classic Anderson quirky stop motion tale, all about um, showing appreciation of dogs, appreciation of old school animation. There's a particular fight scene which looks like something out of a Tom and Jerry cartoon. <laughs> it's very straight laced. Um, there are interesting choices around translation where things are translated and not translated deliberately because Anderson wants to show the beauty and emotion of a Japanese language and how earnest it is as an emotional thing. Some people have accused the film of being cultural appropriation, whereas I see it as complete tribute to all things Japanese. Uh, and the film is very, very funny. And there are lots of one-liners. Um, uh, as, as, as Brian Cranston says as chief, I don't sit... When he's doing, when he's um, try, when he's talking to impress nutmeg, I don't sit, I bite. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's lots and lots of uh, wonderful things in the film. So yeah, um, that's my number one film. Oh, the dogs. Excellent one. I haven't Heart, seen it. Warmth, wit. You go back to joyous things. Um, you're seeing joyous experiences in the film. I think this one is definitely that. And right. it's uh, I think it's Wes Anderson's warmest film. Well, they're, all it, they're all really, they're all, they're all, they're all full of uh, wonderful things. But this one really, really connects with me on a personal level. Fantastic! Yeah, excellent choice. Isle of Dogs is Tim's number one of 2018, which leaves one more medal to be given. Uh, Lucy, which misery fest have you got for us now? I've actually got something quite joyous for my number one as well. Go on. I am lucky. Ah, Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, yes, his final role. Um, it, it's not just my favourite film of last year. It, it's gone straight into one of my favourite films of all time. Whoa. It, it's one of the most beautiful, most thoughtful and joyous things I've ever seen. It's It's 
just so what is this so good what is it it's well there's a documentary that goes along with it which was actually filmed a few years before this but it goes on the dvd called harry dean stanton partly fiction and in that he talks about how acting for him is an ongoing process of truly becoming yourself so he's basically saying that he's not acting as such in a lot of his roles he's being himself and lucky is the Alt, it, it's the end game of that. He truly becomes himself on film. And he's he's not really playing a character. He is Harry Dean Stanton. Down to the fact that the personal details given about Lucky are his own. So where he was born, where he grew up, down right down to his Navy details from when he served during the war. Um, it's all his. It's all accurate, down to his how his friendships are, his philosophies, which a lot of it is him philosophizing. So is it, is uh, it like a documentary then? No, no, not at all. It, it's um, it's fiction, but partly fiction, if that makes sense. So it, it's a cinematic film, a beautifully cinematic film. It's um, all in a desert city, so, well, town, small town. And so it's got beautiful shots of um, the sand against blue sky, pure blue sky, and him in his Stetson and boots and everyone else. It, it's fantastic to look at. It, it's really great. Um, but Lucky, the character is as close to Harry Dean Stanton as he could be. And it's the film is this character going through his daily routines, his yoga in the morning, his um, watching his programs, his quiz shows, um, going to the bar he goes to every day, um, going to the diner he goes to every day for his morning cup of coffee. Um, Dare I say it sounds a bit dull. It couldn't be further from it. Um, it's the characters he encounters and has these fantastic conversations with, one of whom is my favourite David Lynch, um, a character called Howard, who's lost his tortoise. And um, it, it, and there's a, a brilliant piece where he meets someone who served in the, the war as well. And they talk about their experiences and how they run as parallels. And it, it's so simple. And... Yet it, it's so deep. It says something far more than any of the other films I've said that, are, you know, they're, they're really um, like Cold War or wildlife or anything. Yes, they're saying big things, but they're, they're you know, not, not convoluted, but they've got big things happening to them. They've got big backdrops and they've got all these characters with lots to say and things. But Harry Dean, he says so much, but in so fewer words. And he, he, it's him going through his philosophies, which he talked about 
in interviews mm. by himself, which are somewhere between completely nihilistic and quite Buddhist. And there's um, a bit, well, kind of taking two quotes into one, really. Um, there's a difference between being lonely and alone. It's beautiful. Alone comes from two words, all one. So it's this thought of though he's he's got no family, he's his friends are well, he's got one friend really, Howard, and they're just bar friends. So he is on his own completely, but he's not lonely. Mm. And there's something very beautiful in that because the, the the context of it is it's a man in his nineties coming to terms with aging and dying and that's what was happening for harry dean he died 14 days before the film was had its first release in the states and it took longer for it to be released here because of um some kind of hold up (laughs) um yeah um but it's it's the most fantastic thing and it's an hour and a half, if that. And like I say, so fewer words compared to so much else, but it says so much more. Well, that, uh, I think, uh, is my weekend sorted. So hopefully you at home have had some, some, uh, some kind of, some, what's the word I'm looking for? Inspiration for things that maybe you missed in 2018 there may be other things that uh, that you loved you can of course still let us know at screen brom we've got five minutes of the show left so we're coming up to the end of it now um and uh, we thank you so much for listening i just want to run through some other other things there's so many things i could have had on my list that i didn't and uh, i had to make space for mamma mia too here we go again um black clansman we've touched on which is the um the Spike Lee uh, film, which is absolutely fantastic, really loved that. Um, the particularly central sequence in there with um, Harry Belafonte, which is just horrifying and incredibly powerful. That's not the one. And another one of my choices, which would be very surprised to see on my list, is uh, Nicholas Cage's Mandy which, as I say, I went to see with Lucy and was absolutely terrified because it's not the sort of thing I would normally see at all. I remember when you went went to see it, I was like, you're not going to see Mandy. And it was, you know, I was terrified, but it it includes the amazing creature Cheddar Goblin, which if you're not familiar with, try and Google that and and see the monstrous horror that is Cheddar Goblin. It's a horrifying, it's a horror film. It's um, psychedelic, it's barking mad. And it also has an amazing, amazing soundtrack. Again, very visual, very glad I saw it on the big screen. Sort of rumbling sound effects, crazy colours, animation, um, and just a phenomenal, a phenomenal mm-hmm. performance of Nicolas Cage kind of presenting the grief ultimate and Nick pain. Cage. Oh, it's just the platonic form of Nick Cage acting. It's like <laughs> it's like where he's Cage, sorry. That's where he's been building up to, I think, all his career. To, to this, the sequence just when he's in his pants in a bathroom just looking sort of horrified um, oh yes Ch- Tim showed me that there's a whole website devoted to oh no to he's on Twitter at Cheddar Goblin Cheddar Goblin <laughs> Goblin uh, since 1981 and spewing news for the film Mandy it's something to see so um, so yeah that's another choice of mine Mandy um, American Vandal which I know I talked about last year which no one else has ever seen TV series um, which I think is is 
a brilliant um, uh, sort of dissection of American society. And um, you were never really here. Lynn Ramsey's brilliant kind of nihilistic hitman film, which is mm. absolutely fantastic as well. Um, so any one of those could have been in my top five. So those are some honourable mentions. Tim, Lucy, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, um, uh, Three Billboards, honourable mention. Coco, honourable mention. Black Panther, honourable mention. Ghost Stories, honourable mention. Incredibles 2, um, Black Klansman, uh, First Man, I really enjoyed. Oh, I haven't seen especially that. Especially the, yeah. Uh, great Carter Burwell soundtrack great on that Carter as well. Burwell soundtrack and Widows, um, all, all, all mentions. Fantastic. Uh, there's another, uh, not out, uh, yes, there you go. I've, I've got quite a lot of things there, haven't I? Yeah, that's a pretty good list. Yeah. Um, Lucy, anything else we haven't mentioned that you'd like to... Um, I'll put in a Netflix feature as well of Jim and Dandy, The Great Beyond, mm. which is fantastic. It's stunning. Um, it's footage that was collected um, from when Jim, and that, Jim Carrey was making um, Man on the Moon, mm. the feature uh, based around Andy Kaufman mm. the slightly surreal comedian and it, it Jim Carrey became Andy Kaufman mm. it, it went beyond um I got the great beyond um mm. it, it went beyond uh, method it he well he, his Kaufman's family came to um some of the shooting and they said he was Andy. He he went beyond, um, you know, pretending to be Andy. He he really became him. And it's taken years um, for the the backstage footage to be allowed to be shown because the studio said this can't be shown anywhere around or n remotely near the release of the feature because everyone will hate him and they they will think he is a horrible, horrible person and it would really impact the film. And yes, it would have. <laughs> it really would have. Um, but it, it's brilliant. It's a really stunning thing and it's not just this footage of him being th this other person it also goes into it, it's got interviews with Jim Carrey now and it, it goes into the power of performance and it, it gets quite philosophical really and it, it's brilliant brilliant thank you very much Lucy we are right up against the end of the show we're going to have to say goodbye everyone we haven't even had time to preview 2019 um, we're going to have to do that next time so we hope you have enjoyed this quick run through from the year that was we hope that next year this year 2019 is a brilliant one for film we think it's we hope it's a brilliant one for you personally as well so can we all say uh, thank you very much for listening thank you very much for listening thank you uh, thank you uh, lucy thank you tim thank for you blake contributions and um we'll see you all soon take care and uh, have a fantastic new year. Happy New Year. Happy bye New bye. Year, you all. Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website 
or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page, and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.